Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey. Hello, it's Paul Byron of the Vancouver Giants. I'm Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades. I'm Dylan Cousins of the Westbridge Hurricanes. Hey guys, this is Cam Hurt. Spencer Knight. This is Matt Boldy. It's Alex Turcott from Team USA. Hi, it's Maurice Sider from the and I'm. This is Alex Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic. Major Junior. They were the best in the QMJHL. And now the Huskies are Memorial Cup champions. NCAA. Everybody in that Bulldog section's on their feet. The bench is ready to party as the UMD Bulldogs are back-to-back national champions. The World Juniors. Time winding down, and Finland has won the World Junior Championship in Vancouver in spectacular style. The NHL Draft. With the first pick overall, the New Jersey Devils are proud to select from the U.S. program, Jack Hughes. And more. Unbelievable. Wow. Incredible. This is the Pipeline Show. All right. Good weekend and welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show with Guy Fleming. That's me. We always start with the question of the day. This one goes back to the World Junior Recap that was earlier this week. That was the abbreviated World Junior Recap that you heard. I think it came out on Wednesday or Thursday just a few days ago to recap the World Junior Championship. The question of the day then was which player exceeded and which player left you wanting more uh, with their performance at the World Junior Championship and had uh, lots of feedback, uh, a lot of similar names. I think uh, for the the disappointing player, most people were picking uh, Cole Caulfield, and that was of interest because uh, when I uh, asked people before the tournament who was going to lead the event, his name got mentioned a lot and ended up with only two points in the tournament. Uh, As for uh, players who exceeded expectations, a lot of Joel Hofer, Uh, Jamie Drysdale of the Erie Otters uh, was mentioned a few times. Nils Hoglander of uh, Sweden gets a few mentions. Uh, Kalen Addison uh, singled out by one person. Quinton Byfield also gets mentioned as a disappointment a few times. And I hesitate to to slam guys who are there in their draft year as uh, it's usually a tournament for 18 and 19-year-olds especially, uh, and the 17-year-olds undrafted players or draft-eligible players it's uh, It can be a, a definitely a learning experience, and uh, he would have played further down the depth chart for Canada than he does with the Sudbury Wolves, and uh, very small sample size. I don't think you can uh, expect, I don't think you should lower your expectations uh, of Quinton Byfield moving forward. Anyway, that was the question of the day, which you can find on Twitter at TPS underscore Gee. Let's get to the news and notes for this week. We'll start with the CHL and the the top 10, and the Ottawa 67s this week moved ahead of Sherbrooke. The 67s are in that number one spot. We'll get to uh, an interesting note about the 67s here in a second. Uh, Sherbrooke falls to uh, number two. Uh, Portland of the Western Hockey League are the number three seed. Shikudemi rises one spot from five to four. The Edmonton Oil Kings jump up from eight to number five. They uh, will probably fall back a little bit, though, as they lost last night in Saskatoon. The Moncton Wildcats uh, stay firm at number six. Everett is uh, ranked seventh. Windsor, Guelph, and the Peterborough Peets, three OHL clubs, rounding out the top ten of the CHL's uh, top ten for this week. Now, that comes out on Wednesday, uh, so things will probably change after uh, Friday night's games. 
and the trade deadline, which uh, we're going to talk a lot about the deadline here today. So I'm not going to get into all the trades here in this opening segment as we're going to go through all three leagues uh, with a guest to recap the week of uh, the CHL trade deadline. But well, let's go to the uh, the queue and the leading scorers right now. Alexi Lafreniere has 70 points. Cedric Paré was 67, both with the Ramuski Oceanic. The Cape Breton Eagles are represented by Igor Sokolov and uh, Ryan Francis uh, with 57 and 54 points, respectively. Sokolov, I think, uh, caught a lot of attention uh, while at the uh, World Junior Championship. And how about Alexander Hovanov uh, with 53 points of the Moncton Wildcats? He had a terrific tournament for Russia as well. A top goaltender right now in both goals against and safe percentage is Samuel Lavich from the Sherbrooke Phoenix. Kevin Mandelis is uh, next in both categories, and uh, Thomas Seguin from Sherbrooke is uh, number three in both categories. Skipping over to the OHL, the uh, leading scorer comes from the Ottawa 67s. That's uh, Marco Rossi, the Austrian, who did not go play in the World Junior Championship, uh, the Division I uh, Championship for Austria, yet they won. So that team will be in the uh, big pool next year here in Edmonton and Red Deer. Uh, Arthur Kaliev uh, with 67 points is number two. Obviously, he's missed some time here with the World Juniors. Uh, Cole Perfetti is third with 66 points, uh, followed by Pavel Gogolev of the Guelph Storm, who has 65. And Phil Tomasino, now with the Oshawa Generals, he has 64 points this year. A top goalie in the OHL, both uh, goals against and save percentage, is Nico Dawes of the Guelph Storm. Cedric Andre and Jacob Ingham are two and three in both categories, uh, but uh, Andrea is two for goals against average, and he's third for save percentage. Hunter Jones appears on both lists as well, and Tucker Tynan, who uh, at last report is recovering nicely uh, after that really scary incident where he was cut on his uh, leg. Uh, he is one of the notables when it comes to save percentage. Let's uh, head to the Western Hockey League, and it's a, a tie atop the scoring leader. Adam Beckman of Spokane and Jimmy Hamblin of the Medicine Hat Tigers, both with 62 points. St. Franklin not far behind with 59. Uh, Brett Kemp also of the Medicine Hat Tigers. He has 53. And Oren Santazo of the Kamloops Blazers with 52 points. Top goals against average, Joel Hofer, Dustin Wolf, David Tendek, Shane Farkas, Sebastian Kosa. In that order, save percentage, it's Dustin Wolf who's uh, in top spot. He's followed by Joel Hofer, Shane Farkas, Sebastian Kosa, and uh, number five is uh, Yuri Patera of the Brandon Wheat Kings. The uh, next step from the CHL for a lot of players is uh, U-Sports. So let's go to the U-Sports standings as uh, teams are back underway. We'll start in the OUA East, and uh, the Carlton Ravens are in first place with a record of 17-3-1. and that's 35 points. So with 30 points in second place is UQTR, Ottawa, McGill, and Ontario Tech are chasing them in the standings. In the OUA West Conference, uh, Toronto is in the first place with 33 points, followed by Ryerson, Windsor, Guelph, and Brock, with uh, five teams all chasing them in the standings. And uh, in AUS on the East Coast, uh, Acadia continues to be in first place with 34 points, uh, but UNB right on their heels with 32, followed by Les Aigles Bleus of Moncton and uh, St. Mary's with 23 and 22 points, respectively. And here in Canada West, the University of Alberta Golden Bears still hold down first spot 
with 32 points. Uh, they are 16-3 and three on the season. Calgary, the Dinos, are right behind them, though, with 30 points. And not far off are the Saskatchewan Huskies with 28. Mount Royal slipped a little bit. They've uh, fallen down to a fourth spot, but still have 24 points. And then there's a bit of a gap between them and uh, the rest of the group, uh, led by Manitoba. In the NCAA, the uh, top 20 to start the week, at the beginning of the week. Now, games, as I'm speaking with you right now, it's Saturday. So a lot of games were played in all leagues last night. Uh, but coming into this weekend's play, North Dakota was ranked number one, followed by Cornell, Minnesota State, Boston College, and Denver. Then it was Penn State, Clarkson, Ohio State, Minnesota, Duluth, and Massachusetts at 10. Uh, Northeastern Providence, UMass Lowell, Notre Dame, Arizona State at 15. Then you have Bowling Green, Michigan Tech, Harvard, Northern Michigan, and Michigan State at closing out the top 20. Now, games last night in the NCAA uh, will change that as uh, North Dakota who had been riding a 14 or 15 game winning streak. They were uh, beaten badly at home 6-3 to visiting uh, Nebraska Omaha, surprising North Dakota. Uh, Denver, though, doubled up St. Cloud State 6-3. Minnesota Duluth did the same to Western Michigan. Of note for uh, Philadelphia Flyers fans, Wade Allison played in that game, so he's back in action. He's only played, I believe that would be his eighth game now of the season. Uh, I mentioned oh, a second ago about uh, North Dakota and uh, and Shane Pinto in particular. Uh, interesting stories that have come out here in the last little bit. Uh, the Ottawa 67s were trying to recruit him this week, and apparently we recruited him pretty heavily. Uh, Pinto, who is uh, undrafted by an OHL club, so he is a, a free agent. Uh, the 67s, who are, as I mentioned, in first place, were looking to acquire him. Now, the Ottawa Senators own his uh, NHL rights, second round, early second-round pick this past draft. Uh, apparently, even Pierre Dorian, the uh, GM of the Senators, uh, went to North Dakota to just... I don't know if he's going to further the idea of him leaving North Dakota and playing for the Ottawa 67s. I think he's just going to see what Pinto has decided, and I'm assuming he's got a contract with him because I'd be shocked if Pinto left North Dakota without a pro contract. So what you'd see is he'd sign with Ottawa, and Ottawa would then reassign him to the Ontario Hockey League. Uh, but that did not happen. Uh, Pinto has decided to uh, stay at North Dakota for at least the rest of this season. So that's where we're at. Uh, what we're going to do on this week's show, as I mentioned, is CHL trade deadline review. So I'm going to have three guests for you on this weekend's special show. We'll start. We'll go from east to west as the deadline in the queue actually uh, was a couple days before it was in uh, the Ontario Hockey League and the WHL. Just one of those weird little differences between the three leagues. But Willie Palov from the Halifax Chronicle Herald, he's my guest to uh, recap everything that happened in the queue. My guest in for the OHL segment will be Chris Abbott, who used to join me to talk about the queue all the time, but the, the broadcaster's relocated to Hamilton. He's now a play-by-play guy for the Hamilton Bulldogs. So we'll talk to him about everything that changed in the OHL. And Lucas Puncari, who writes for the Herald in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, does the same from a WHL perspective. So those are my three guests, all of them CHL insiders. And that means they're all brought to you by the store next door, employing people with disabilities out in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, collecting as many broken hockey sticks as they can get their hands on and transforming all of that stuff into some really cool products. Check their website out at thestorenextdoor.com. 
Ca. Now, Lucas Puncari, who is a beat writer for covering the Prince Albert Raiders, uh, that's obviously a, a Dub Network segment, as uh, all my guests covering the Western Hockey League. Those segments are brought to you by dubnetwork.ca. Keeping up to date on everything around the Western Hockey League has never been easier. Thanks to dubnetwork.ca. Uh, sign up for your daily dose of the dub. It gets emailed to you, so you don't even have to uh, search it out. It'll come to you. But we will start on the East Coast. Uh, up first, Willie Paloff from the Halifax Chronicle Herald. Let's recap the CHL's busy trade deadline week. We'll start there next here on the Pipeline Show. Down there by Zaboral. Puck comes free. Ward's clearing play to the line. It skips out to center. Valeno trying to break shorthanded. Joe Valeno, penalty coming. Valeno deking, scores! Joe Valeno, shorthanded goal! Hey, it's Joe Valeno from the Drummondville Voltageurs, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show. There's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. The store next door gift shop is a Yarmouth-based manufacturer and retail outlet store. So we make great ideas that any of our employees come up with, and we reuse and recycle as much as possible. Our most popular item is probably our hockey furniture. We take broken hockey sticks and turn them into different products. We go through a lot of hockey sticks. A lot. A whole lot. Considering that it's only been a year and we're shipping internationally, I think that that's been a huge success. Most people's reactions are, wow, you do this here. We don't accept can't here. Everyone here learns in different ways, but we want to give everybody every opportunity to find exactly what works for them. There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker and we change lives one job at a time. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Giant turkey is a little over the line, my man. Back on the Pipeline Show and this a CHL trade deadline episode. We're going to start in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League as the deadline a few days earlier than it is in the Ontario Hockey League and the Western Hockey League. And my guest to break down everything that went down is Willie Paloff from the Halifax Chronicle Herald. Uh, Willie, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. Thanks for taking the time. How are you? Great. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, very busy trade deadline once again in the queue. That's no surprise. We see uh, a lot of big trades in the queue every year, uh, and this year no exception. Uh, is there one or two that immediately jump to the forefront, though, as blockbusters? Yeah, well, let, let's do two. Uh, the All involving world junior players, yep. uh, well, or close to it. Um, so in Shakutami, you had two. You had Rafa Lavoie going to, uh, from Halifax to Shakutami for a pile of draft picks, and then uh, surprisingly, Dawson Mercer going from Drummondville to Shakutami because, you know, he's an 18-year-old, so certainly we'll be back in the league next year. I don't see him going straight to the NHL. And um, as far as I can tell, looking at the trade, the uh, Shakutami just overwhelmed Drummondville and made it hard for them to turn it down. Um, all kinds of, I think it's six draft picks right now, including yeah. three firsts, but as the Quebec league likes to do, uh, some of those will become players in June. It's all sort of sketchy and agreed to in advance, but um, that, <laughs> that makes them really strong. And uh, you know, the other big one, is um, Jared McIsaac and Bo Grew 
going from Halifax to Moncton. So what's called grew kind of a, a borderline world junior player. Cause he almost made the team mm-hmm. sent home from Europe at the last second. Of course, Mackay's a two year player, but uh, same idea uh, on, on the trade right now, there's six or seven draft picks, but most of those will go back. Halifax will keep uh, Moncton's two first rounders, uh, 21 and 22. And uh, then a couple of players go there in June. So, you know, those are the biggest ones that went down and make them probably the, the two front runners right now, for me anyway. That would be Moncton and Shikudami? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're all both pretty good teams already, but uh, they're, they're both stacked now. Because um, there were some other trades they made too, like uh, Felix Bebo going from Quebec to Shikudami. He was a key player last year uh, when Ruin Aranda won the Memorial Cup. Um, few other smaller trades there and then of course Moncton already had players like Jacob Peltier, uh Jeremy McKenna, Alexander Havanov, uh Russian world junior player. So um couple of powerhouses there. Now Sherbrooke has been leading the league uh, right almost since day one, if not since day one. They were fairly quiet. They made what, a couple of trades, but nothing of major significance to in your mind? No, not not at that level of those trades I just mentioned. I mean they did get, bring in some good players. Um Samuel Bolduc, defenseman from Blainville, and uh, Xavier Bernard, another defenseman from Charlottetown. A couple of good players. And then the last second, they got uh, a 20-year-old out of Gatineau, Charles-Antoine Wah. But they're, uh, they're a team that's really better built to win next year. So I, I don't think they felt like they, they wanted to empty the tank and then uh, miss their chance next year. Because, you know, their, key, their core players like Samuel Poulin, a few other guys, um, we'll, we'll be 19 next year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the team they already had, like you said, is first. So you add a couple of, uh, secondary players and, and try your, you know, try your luck. Right. So, uh, they'll get a crack this year and next year, but they're, they're right in there, uh, almost, uh, at that tier with Shakutami and Ramuski. Or sorry, uh, Moncton. Uh, I'm going to go back to the Dawson Mercer trade for a second. And, uh, you're right. Three first round picks, two seconds and a fourth. But as you said, in the queue, we often see these deals change after the playoffs and and uh, probably what at the draft. Um, why, why is that allowed? I wish I knew. I, I've always hated it. it it's completely disingenuous. Uh, I, I'd be most upset if I was a team from uh, the OHL or WHL winning, uh, you know, through building through the draft and trades. I mean, they can't even trade first-round picks in the O. And then you got to go against these teams that have uh, players – on the team who were already traded for the following June. So I don't know. The, the Quebec league's always uh, been a little bit on the sketchy side uh, with a lot of things. And, and this one, I don't think really helps their image a whole lot, particularly when the tra- the players that are, are considered future considerations are often the best 16 or 17 year old. So uh, there's all this secrecy around it and everything else. It's, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's always been accepted and, uh, it still is. It's unfortunate. I don't know if you can tell, but traditionally or historically, when a trade like that happens, so in this case, it's Shakutami and Drummondville. Uh, Mercer goes from Drummondville to Shakutami for a boatload of picks. Will some of those exact same picks then go back to Drummondville for actual players? Or, I mean, um, uh, become instead of, uh, um, yeah, actually, I guess, would the picks go back to Drummondville and uh, then it would be players the other way around? Or does Drummondville send more picks? To, to get actual warm bodies back? I mean, how, what do you foresee? Well, um, 
Yes. Not all of them will go back, but a lot of them. I mean, the easiest one to explain might be the Moncton one I talked about earlier. So the Wildcats now have Jared McIsaac and Bogru on their team. And I won't list every single pick that's in Halifax's hand because there's six of them, I think, six or seven. Um, so it's all, this is all, by the way, agreed to in advance, filed through the Quebec office. Um, so there's actually, I'm looking at it now, there's seven picks seven. that Halifax owns right now. Uh, included in that seven is, a, a, and this, by the way, is, is just what I've heard. It doesn't make it official. Um, they, they own Moncton's 2021 and 2022 first rounders. And then there's five other picks. Right. So June comes when the draft is Quebec league draft. That is five of those. The other five picks will go back to Moncton. Two players go to Halifax It's announced on the day before the draft Friday, when the, the trade period opens the, the next trade period. And then, um, there you go. That's how it works. And then yeah. Mercer will be the same way. Um, I don't know as much about that trade, um, except that there will be some of those picks that go back. And I believe the player going back to, let me think about this. I'm trying to think of his name, uh, is a first, first round pick from this past draft or maybe the draft before, but anyway, the, yeah. the point is, uh, it's a buy now pay later. Uh, everybody agrees to it. it has to be filed officially for so no one can back out of it and um, you know like I said it's too bad it, it just doesn't look good on the league I don't think no I, I agree with you at, at least it's on the books and nobody can back out of it I, I guess that part of it kind of makes sense and it's it's every team in the league is able to do the same thing so I guess in a way it's kind of above board but it just sounds really <laughs> sketchy yeah, I, I guess the easiest way to look at it is, I mean, could you imagine the NHL doing this? No, um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? Uh, and, and let's remember that this is all part of the CHL. So the, the three partner leagues, you can trade first round picks in the Quebec League. You can't in the OHL. Like, there's different rules. Yeah. It would be nice if, if they just all got on the same page. You know, if, for example, this is going back probably 15 years now, there was a trade between Halifax and Cape Breton where a bunch of players went from Halifax to Cape Breton for some draft picks and other stuff. And then uh, a year and one day later, the exact same players went back from Cape Breton to Halifax and was all agreed to in advance. So uh, at the time, the rule was a player can't return to the same team within a year. Mm. So after that trade, now it has to be two years to discourage that one because, you know, future considerations are bad enough, but boring a bunch of players for a year and agreed to in advance is even worse. Yeah. 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 All <laughs> right. Uh, were you surprised there was a team that, uh, didn't get, uh, jump into the trade frenzy as, as much as they did. Maybe they made a trade or two, but nothing of significance. Were you surprised by somebody that kind of stood pat? No, not really. Um, you know, two other teams that are, I would say at least dark horse, uh, or perhaps, uh, close to top tier contenders are Ramuski and, Cape Breton. Um, Ramuski, of course, has Alexi Lafreniere for this last year and, and had good pieces around him. Didn't have as much to trade to get new players, but they did well with what they had to uh, surround him with some better talent. And, you know, as we saw with Team Canada, that kid could carry a whole team, right? Yeah. So um, they did enough, I think, to, uh, you know, to, make, to, to give him a chance to win. And then, and the Cape Breton, um, 
I won't say they were exactly like Sherbrooke, but they weren't an A-level built team for now, but did well to add, uh, you know, junior style players that aren't, for example, first round NHL picks, but have a good history as winners. Uh, they brought Tyler Heineman from Ruin Miranda, a kid who won the Moral Cup last year. A um, few other guys that have been in long runs. So, you know, they're, they're a team that could surprise. I mean, you know, we, they build these teams on paper, but they have to play the game. So as much as these other teams have, have stocked up on, uh, on sort of the elite players, um, you know, sometimes it's the guys with, with uh, junior at the end of the line are the ones that, that perform best in playoffs. You know, some of these other guys have the NHL waiting for them. So yeah. um, I'm looking forward to that. There, there's a good five or six teams that can really go, go good distance this year. Now, Willie, you're in Halifax. The Mooseheads obviously moved big pieces out. Uh, was the fan base prepared for this? Did, could they see the writing on the wall and, and knew that this was coming? I mean, the Mooseheads are always a good team, but they are uh, well down the standings this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I think any informed fan knew that. Anybody who pays close attention would realize that although starting near the end, you know, Grew and McIsaac and LeBlanc and maybe a core of six or seven players, it's really not quite enough when you don't have a second line or you don't have a, a legitimate third pairing, that kind of thing. Um, particularly where they had to build their team up last year, which meant they, they didn't have any draft picks or young players to trade. So there was no real opportunity for them to, to bring in some secondary players. So mm-hmm. I think if for those fans who understand how the cycles in junior hockey work, there's no surprises, but, uh, perhaps a casual fan or a young fan uh, who looks at that team and sees those names, some of the best in the league and sees them, you know, a little bit above 500 wonders why they didn't just go for it. But of course, had they done that, they, they would be bottomed out for two to three years where now, you know, they'll be pretty good next year. They'll be a 500 team. And, and then the, the rebuild would probably be close to done by the year after. So um, <laughs> it's, it's not as bad, and and they they have some some players who uh, they brought in just just cheap uh, overagers and a couple of veterans uh, just to fill some gaps. So they, you know they're not going to get blown out or anything, but they they certainly can't uh, get get out of the first round. I wouldn't think. Yeah, and again, the Quebec Red part uh, were real quiet again too, weren't they? Uh, or if they made deals, they certainly weren't uh, where they were loading up as they're uh, in the one of the cellar dweller teams. They might make the playoffs, but just barely. This year, uh, Patrick Waugh's return to the queue hasn't been uh, overwhelming, uh, to say the least, since uh, he returned behind the bench. Uh, where do you see things going there? Yeah, same idea. He, you know, Patrick's pretty realistic. He, he came in last year, and his team was, uh, you know, the way it was constructed was not ideal. So he picked away a little bit and um, kind of hovered around the middle there. And, and then this year, thought he would uh, at least look at what uh, – what his team would do in the first month or two. And I think he knew pretty early on it, it wasn't going to happen. So um, he, he traded away Felix Bebo, like I mentioned earlier, and he, he got Theo Rochette back. He's a good young player, 17 year old and um, dealt away most of his veterans of any significance. And so he'll, he'll, he doesn't need a lot of time to turn it around. I know two years now have been both pretty average, but he's got an okay core now. And of course he'll get uh a bunch of new drafted players, uh, you know, a little bit like London and the OHL, mm-hmm. the big market teams, they can attract top Europeans and, and other kids who may be opting for NCAA. It's just, you know, they've got more to offer. So 
Uh, I, I would think by next year he'll be back in the mix somewhere. All right. And speaking of uh, the World Junior Championship, you mentioned it a little earlier. We're seeing some of those, uh, especially the European players who weren't playing in the CHL, now kind of trickling over and joining their CHL teams for the, the remainder of the year. A couple of guys doing that in the OHL. Uh, and we've seen it in the dub in the past. But anyone like that uh, coming to the queue uh, to finish out th- this season? Not that I've heard, no. Um, everybody, you know, they, they the Quebec League does like to have their players in place early on. That's just typical uh, for the smaller market teams. It can be hard to attract the very best. So, you know, they, they get a lot of second tier players and, and bring them along. Um, and then the bigger teams, as I mentioned, they, they get uh, almost the pick of the crop there. So um, I suppose if anything, uh, there was some scouting going on. Uh, I know the Mooseheads will probably pick in the top 10 and they're, they're a team like Quebec and London that bring in those big names. So, uh, you know, watching them, they've they've done well in places like Switzerland and Germany and some other places. So, um, I'd imagine they had their eye on on those players. But uh, no, everybody else is pretty uh, pretty much in place already. And no Charlie Coils this year, guys who are leaving the NCAA and, and coming up north. Not that I've heard of, but uh, with this league, you know, you never know, right? Uh, but uh, unless unless somebody's uh, got a 12th round U.S. kid that has been under the radar and somehow finds a way. I think what you see is what you get right now. Awesome. Willie, I really appreciate your time. Great rundown of everything that happened earlier this week with the trade deadline and uh, looking forward to the rest of this uh, regular season into the playoffs, and we'll be calling you again. All right, right on. My pleasure. Thanks, Guy. Here's Willie Palov uh, doing a great job once again on the Pipeline Show with a recap of the trades at the Q deadline. Now, last night, Friday, uh, a few games in the Q. Uh, Moncton didn't play, so we'll get a new look at the or a look at the new look Wildcats uh, with their next game. Shakutami did play. Raphael Lavoie with a goal. Dustin Mercer didn't play in that one though. But uh, interesting. Uh, it looks like it's going to be you know three, four teams really at the top of the Q to uh, uh, follow down the end of the season. Cape Breton, I know the poll on the Q's website asked fans to vote for which team improved the most at the deadline, and Cape Breton is leading in that poll. Now, polls are subject to, they're basically popularity contests, so maybe it's a lot of, you know, uh, Cape Bretoners stuff in the ballot box. Who knows? My initial instinct was to say uh, Moncton or Shakutami, but uh, we'll see how it all plays out as the stretch drive to the playoffs uh, begins in earnest now. We go from the Q to the Ontario Hockey League, and my guest, Chris Abbott, the uh, new voice of the Hamilton Bulldogs. That's next, here on the Pipeline Show. Suzuki now, cutting into the middle. There's a shot, scores! And Suzuki makes it 8-1, and he has his second and his fifth point tonight. Hey, it's Nick Suzuki from the Owensound Attack, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. From the organization that brought you Mark Messier, Matt Benning, and Ian Mitchell, Spruce Grove Saints Junior A Hockey is officially back for the 2019-2020 season with all the action taking place at the Grant Fear Arena in Spruce Grove. With tickets starting at just $15 per person, AJHL Hockey provides some quality entertainment. For more information, visit www.sprucegrovesaints.ca. 
You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Oh, my. We're back on The Pipeline Show. We go from the trade deadline activity in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League to uh, the Ontario Hockey League. Things just wrapping up this morning as I'm speaking with you right now. It is uh, Friday. Uh, and, uh, of course, all my CHL insiders are brought to you by the store next door.ca out in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, employing people with disabilities, taking broken hockey sticks, transforming that junk into some really cool products uh, for your man cave or your sports bar, whatever you might have. Uh, give them a look at the store next door.ca. My guest today, Chris Abbott, no stranger to the Pipeline Show, but the first time he's joined us as an Ontario Hockey League play-by-play guy. Uh, Chris, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you? I'm good, Keith. Thanks. It's great to be back. Yeah, you talk about moving from the Quebec League to the Ontario League. I had the opportunity to do that this year, so not something that I think the, a lot of junior guys do, so it's been pretty neat to uh, to get to know the OHL as, I, uh, as intimately as I knew the Q. I think you're right. I don't think there are a whole lot of broadcasters that go from one CHL league to another. I know AJ Jakubek, who's in Ottawa, has done it. He was out here in Edmonton and, and did some work with a couple other teams and is with the 67s now uh, and TSN 1200 in Ottawa. But outside of that, I'm, I, I'm trying to think of other guys who have done it. Sean Mullen, rather, spent some time in the OHL but wasn't a broadcaster there, and he was in Swift Current for a while. But uh, you're, you're almost yeah. a pioneer. <laughs> Quick shout-out to AJ as well. I know he's been having some uh, yeah. some battles with uh, with his health, but I think he's, uh, he's on the mend now, so uh, that was really good to see as well. Yeah, great to see for sure. Uh, before we get into all the uh, trade activity, is there a, a noticeable difference between hockey in the Q and the O? You know, people have asked me that, and I don't think there really is. I, I, I think it's very, very similar the way the game is played. Um, you know, there's all those stereotypes that the Quebec League is uh, – all these French guys buzzing around and there's no defense being played. And, you know, there, there's a few Atlantic Canadians out there fighting, but it, it's really not anymore. Um, you know, you, you've got as many hard-nosed French players as you've got hard-nosed Atlantic Canadians. Like I look at a, a Bo Gru who just went from Halifax to Moncton Lake cut from the national team. He's as hard-nosed as any player you're going to meet. So um, I think some of those stereotypes are a little bit overdone. I think with uh, the fact that all these players get together with Hockey Canada, um, you know, at the under-16 or under-17 level, um, I think the game is, is pretty standard uh, across the country. And, and the Memorial Cup in Halifax last year, I think we really saw that as well. Chris Abbott, my guest uh, here. We're going to uh, recap what's happened in the OHL with the trade deadline now that it's come and gone. And uh, big trades in the queue. Big trades in the OHL as well. We're still waiting for some of the blockbusters in the dub. But uh, with the OHL, there were definitely some big names uh, who have moved and, and uh, gone from team to team. Uh, now, you're in Hamilton. You're covering the Bulldogs. Expected to make a, a move or two, but pretty quiet, actually, at the deadline. The only thing the Hamilton Bulldogs did was trade Kitchener's second-round pick. Uh, by the way, for those who don't know, you cannot trade first-round picks in the Ontario Hockey League. Um, so a second round pick is as high as it gets. Mm-hmm. So Hamilton traded Kitchener's second round pick in 2020 to Owen Sound, who had uh, North Bay's second in 2022 and Owen Sound's third in 2024. So really, they did nothing, um, which is a little bit surprising. Arthur Kaliev, who was a star for uh, USA at the recent World Juniors, um, he, he was leading uh, the team in the league in scoring before he left. He came back this week in his first game against Niagara. He had five assists. So I thought he would be a big chip. Obviously, Steve Stales didn't get the offer he was waiting for. Um, everyone fell in love watching Jan Unique play hockey in the Czech Republic for his home country at the World Juniors. 
I knew and we knew here in Hamilton that that was the kind of player he was. Looks like he's out for the year. Nothing's been completely confirmed. Um, so we thought maybe we'd see both of those guys get moved at the trade deadline um, where Hamilton was kind of in, in a rebuild mode, of course, not far off an OHL championship, but uh, really, really interesting to me to see that they stood pat. Obviously, Steve Stales didn't get the offers that he needed, and he wasn't going to just give players away. Well, they didn't get anybody from via trade, but they did bring in a player from the uh, World Junior Championship and a pretty key guy for the uh, 2020 draft, too. Yeah, they took Jan Mishak in the uh, in the import draft, the European draft, whatever way you whatever it's officially called, import draft these days, I think it's called. Uh, and uh, everyone's really excited to get a look at him. Draft eligible. Uh, last year after the World Juniors, Jan Unique joined the Bulldogs, and this year Jan Misak is going to join them. And, uh, you know, he, he may not be Jan Unique right away, but I'm sure he's going to help fill in in the top six for Hamilton, which uh, they found their scoring touch recently. It was a real challenge for the team over the break with Arthur Kalia of Jan Unique away. Head coach Vince Lace said, uh, somebody's got to step up and score goals for us here. You know, they played six or seven games without those guys, and uh, the offense was was pretty good. Uh, Todd Bertuzzi's son, Tag Bertuzzi, really starting to come into his own as well. All right, we'll watch for that. Uh, now, the Bulldogs really not doing a whole lot at the deadline is significant because the they're in fifth place in the Eastern Conference. The four teams ahead of them all did make big moves. Uh, of all the trades that happened uh, here in the last two or three days, what's been the biggest in your opinion? I think the biggest one, uh, certainly with the most assets as well, is Phil Tomasino going from Niagara to Oshawa. Mm-hmm. Um, this is interesting because the day before Oshawa trades Sarah Noel, uh, arguably their top four, they trade him away, and then the next day they bring in Tomasino. Um, the idea behind that, and, and you know, like, I think it was eight draft picks in total, the idea behind that is that Oshawa appears to be ready to bid on next year's Memorial Cup. And uh, they believe Tomasino will be around next season. Noel will not. So Oshawa not really building for that run this year, but getting some things in place for next year. It was a great move for for Niagara as well, because not only did they trade Phil Tomasino, they traded Akil Thomas to Peterborough. Peterborough needed uh, some more. They're a really good team. I think they're a team to watch out for here in the second half. The Peterborough Peets, I've had the opportunity to watch them a lot. Um, Akil Thomas is only going to help them, and Niagara is restocking the draft cupboards uh, along along the way after they had given up a lot in a in a fruitless run, uh, a hope to run for the finals last year. So those are those are two really big uh, moves, both in, involving the Niagara Stubs. Now the Ottawa 67s are in first place in the conference. Uh, they score the most goals in the conference, and apparently you can't score on Ottawa. They've given up only 91 goals to this point in the season, and the next lowest in the conference is 136, so that that's a massive difference. Uh, and yet they uh, they also did some uh, movement at the deadline. Uh, what did the 67s do? And and does does anybody have the firepower now to catch them? Uh, I think so. I mean, they're a really good team. Obviously, they've got um, Andre Drini, the the former Gatineau, uh, excuse me, the former Rouen and former Halifax head coach in the queue. He's been in Ottawa for a couple of years. They look like they were on their way to the finals until they were uh, disrupted uh, the injury to the goaltender last year. Um, but, you know, Ottawa tinkered a little bit. They, uh, they, they sent away Quinn Ewell to Flint for an eighth. And, um, you know, they, they already had a really strong team coming in here. So um, they've got Marco Rossi, who's now the leading scorer in the league. 
He's someone to watch out for. Um, they added Dalen Grew is probably their biggest move. I haven't seen the young man play from Owen Sound, but uh, just adds to their depth. They already had Kevin Ball there, the uh, Team Canada defenseman, and Cedric Andre in net. So they play a, they play a good game, but. One thing to be cautious of of the teams in the Eastern Conference in the Ontario Hockey League is that there has been some weaker sisters this year. North Bay, Kingston, Niagara, even all the way up. Like Hamilton isn't on the same level as the Peterborough, Sudbury, Ottawa's. So while these teams have great records, um, it might be the Western Conference where the strength lies. Interesting. Uh, now, th- some surprises uh, that the some players didn't get moved. I was surprised Thomas Harley didn't get traded out of Mississauga. There doesn't seem like they're going anywhere, and I would think he'd uh, bring them a pretty good return. Were you surprised? I'm a little bit surprised that Thomas Harley wasn't moved, but uh, from what I understand, the asking price was really high, and nobody was interested mm-hmm. in paying it. I actually had the opportunity to watch Thomas Harley just last week. The Steelheads played a home-and-home with uh, with Hamilton, and boy, is he a pleasure to watch. Um you know, it's one of these things where these guys may only be around for a couple of more months in the league as well. Like he, he may very well move on after this season. So um, teams have to, A, check and see if they have enough in the coverage to make those moves, and uh, B, decide if it's worth it. All right, uh, Chris, let's go to the Western Conference. Uh, the Spitfires are in first place, uh, but uh, it's uh, certainly a tighter race in the West than it is in the East. Uh, not a lot. I think it's 12 points separating first from ninth uh, in the conference. So uh, lots of parity there. And again, there were some uh, some big deals. Anything stand out to you immediately? Uh, well, the, I think the big thing is that Saginaw was really, really active. And, uh, you know, a lot of times the, the American teams don't quite get the, the um, you know, the press that they deserve. But they brought in Nick Suzuki's younger brother today from Barry, yeah. Ryan Suzuki. And, uh, you know, he's a Carolina prospect, first rounder. So I think that's that's an absolutely massive trade. There was uh, four, eight, you know, twelve, thirteen assets going around in that trade. But of course, he is the uh, he's the big one to talk about. Barry moved a lot of guys out actually, um, but Suzuki is a, is a big move for Saginaw. There, they were they were quite active and they were already having a good season. Uh, the Guelph Storm they didn't do a whole lot here in the trade deadline, but uh, they play a really really tight game. And of course, Nico Dawes, their goaltender, he didn't have the best start to the World Junior. But uh, he's got the best numbers in the OHL, so we'll see. Uh, we'll see if anyone can uh, handle Guelph's uh, style of play as we get into the playoffs. Uh, you know, and Winter keeps right on rolling along. They're the standard right now. They're 52 points, second in the OHL behind Ottawa. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there. And Kitchener, uh, since the coaching change, they've been on an absolute roll. They're 22, 11, 3, and 2 right now. Uh, the addition is Sarah Noel. So the Kitchener Rangers could be a sneaky team in the Western Conference too. I was intrigued at when uh, Guelph sent the uh, Marcus Phillips to London, and then they now today they picked up uh, Hugo Haas or Martin Haas, I guess, in the uh, OHL uh, out of the World Junior Championship. He comes over, and and uh, North Bay had his rights, but they shipped his rights off to to Guelph. So I imagine he lands there with the Storm. That was just interesting, sort of uh, shuffling of the deck chairs uh, with uh, imports. Yeah, you know what? We saw a lot of that. Uh, you know, guy, big guy, big names coming in and out of different teams. Uh, the Haas edition, interesting. North Bay is also emptying the cupboards. Uh, they finally moved on from Stan Butler after 22 years yeah. um, in December. So a lot of things are changing in North Bay. Um, Haas hadn't been playing with North Bay. He'd been playing in Finland, I guess, when the uh, opportunity to play in Guelph came along. 
Um, you know, they, they made some room for me. Phillips comes back from the East Coast League, goes to London. Uh, you know, the London Knights are still lurking, too. You can never count out the London Knights. So even though they're in fifth in their conference, uh, we'll keep an eye out for them. And uh, I talked about North Bay. Sudbury, of course, has Quinton Byfield, and they're trying to insulate him. And North Bay had a player named Brad Chenier. He's a veteran in the league. He was acquired by Sudbury yesterday. I like to call him uh, the OHL's Brad Marchand. Like he's uh, really good at getting under your skin. Incidentally, he happens to be named Brad as well. Right. Um, he might help open things up for Quentin Byfield a little bit in Sudbury, who, by the way, does a pretty good job of opening things up for himself with the way he can skate. I know it didn't uh, show as much at the World Junior Tournament, but he's only 17, and uh, he sure is a pleasure to watch play the game of hockey. The Wolves also picked up Matty Pekash from uh, the Barry Colts, and and that's a, an interesting pickup. I think they traded five assets to get him, but that's a guy who uh, should have an impact there and help support that uh, byfield offense. Yeah, absolutely. They, and they they paid a heavy price: two seconds, a third, a fifth, and a sixth. So um, yeah, Barry again was very active in in moving guys out. And uh, I haven't had an opportunity to see Petcash in person, but I've uh, heard nothing but good. So, you know, the Sudbury Wolves, again, uh, not a team that's in a market that is, you know, always having success or gets a lot of play, but um, they should be a team to uh, should be a team to watch come, coming down the stretch. Speaking of that, the Flint Firebirds were off to such a great start <laughs> at the uh, the beginning of the year and have really had nothing but, you know, uh, tumultuous uh, activity on and off the ice uh, since their inception uh, into the league. Uh, but they this year seemed to be different, yet they've slipped down the standings. Again, it's very tight in the West, so you slip down three or four spots, you're still very much in the fight. But uh, what do you make of uh, what they've done at the deadline, and, and do they have some, pardon the pun, but firepower to uh, you know be a, a, a dangerous team in the playoffs? Well, looking at Flint's roster coming in, they, they had Riley Piercy from Barry, who had 13 points in 35 games. Um, Owen Lalonde from Guelph, who uh, came over earlier in the year, not quite at the deadline. So, you know, they weren't overly active. Uh, Tyler Tucker, they get from Barry as well. Ty, he's the big add-on, 29 points. He's all automatically in uh, in the top handful of scorers on the team. So uh, that that's from the back end as well. So he's mm-hmm. uh, their number two defenseman scorer. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens with Flint. Uh, the, again, you know, you've got Ty Delandria there. So, uh, that's a name that people will recognize. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. I haven't seen them come through, so I can't give too much, uh, in terms of their style of play just as much yet. But like you said, in the West, uh, it's wide open. I, I'm going to think the team that eventually gets through the West to the final is going to be pretty beat up by the time they get there. So, uh, that's good news if you're an Ottawa 67s or Peterborough Peach fan, that's for sure. Lastly, Chris, I know uh, in Hamilton there's been some uh, news here over the last uh, 10 days or so about the building and the situation with the with the ownership, and it seems like it's unsettled. I don't know how much of that is just sort of negotiating and posturing and things. Uh, from your vantage point, uh, uh, where are things at with, uh, with the team in the city? Yeah, for sure. Well, Hamilton, uh, you know, like a lot of cities, is a vibrant downtown. They've got the – they play out of the first Ontario Centre, which is the new name of the old Cops Coliseum, which we're all – um, you know, I have very fond memories of Gretzky de Lemieux and all that good stuff in 87. But yeah. uh, the building is old, and it does need to be replaced. So they're looking to bring it more uptown. And Michael Anlauer, who's the owner of the Hamilton Bulldogs, and he was the owner when it was in the AHL as well. Um, you know, people have, have very good thoughts about him. I think he's been an excellent business owner in the city. Um, so people are kind of turning on city council who recently... 
um, denied the request to build a new rink there. And, and I guess it's, uh, you know, a lot of people can, can think about this from their own town. If, if you want to take something out of the downtown, and a lot of our downtowns are, are, you know, old and people are moving away from them, whether it's parking or what have you. Um, so this, the city council in Hamilton is trying to keep a, a building down there. Um, I don't think that, you know, re-renovating or reinvigorating Cops Coliseum uh, First Ontario Centre is the answer. So, uh, you know, it, they're in tough, but I know I saw some media this week. Well, maybe we'll have to look outside Hamilton. And most people in junior hockey markets have heard that from their owner at one time or another, and they usually end up staying and figuring it out. Awesome. Chris, I really appreciate your time once again. Great to have you on the show, and uh, hoping to uh, have a chance to talk with you down the stretch and into the playoffs, too. Absolutely. Uh, you call me anytime. You know I'm good. Good to talk to Chris Abbott once again, and a terrific rundown of everything that happened uh, this week in the Ontario Hockey League. And again, like we did it with the at the end of the Q segment, a bunch of games last night in the Ontario Hockey League, and some of the new players on their new teams uh, had an impact. Uh, I know Nick Suzuki, or Ryan Suzuki, rather, had a couple of points in uh, Saginaw's victory over Flint. 7-4 final there. The Oshawa Generals beat Sarnia by a score of 4-3 in Phil Tomasino with a couple of goals in that one for his new club. The Sudbury Wolves, an 8-2 thumping of uh, North Bay and uh, Quinton Byfield, uh, wasn't just traded there, but uh, of note, had a couple of goals in that game as well. A couple of goals also for uh, Ryan Merkley in London for the Knights, uh, traded there well that much earlier, a couple of months ago actually, but still having a positive impact uh, for the Knights. Eight games in total yesterday in the OHL, seven more today. So maybe we'll see more goals for players uh, with their new teams. And uh, the stretch drive in the OHL is going to be pretty exciting. Huge victory yesterday. 9-6, the Ottawa 67s over the Guelph Storm. That's 15 goals. There's math for you. Uh, But that's a lot of offense uh, from two very, very good teams. All right, let's uh, end the show with the Western Hockey League trade deadline results. Lucas Puncari, who is a beat writer covering the Prince Albert Raiders, the defending champs, they were busy this past week, as were several teams leading up to the Western Hockey League deadline. Let's get an update next here on the Pipeline Show. And Doc will get back to it. Doc at his blue line. Comes to center, ducks around Leeson, in over the line on the wing, trying to go wide around. Pahal gets in front, shoots and scores! Ah, oh, let's go! Kirby Duck puts hand to the ear as if to listen for the booze from the crowd here at the Art Harris Center. But what a brilliant individual effort by Kirby Duck! And the Blades have opened the scoring in game two in Prince Albert. I'm Kirby Duck of the Saskatoon Blades, and this is the Pipeline Show. your weekend with WHL Hockey Action. This Friday night at 7, your Edmonton Oil Kings face off against the Prince Albert Raiders at Rogers Place. Then, Sunday afternoon, the puck drops at 4 for a showdown against the Medicine Hat Tigers. Don't miss your shot to see the Oil Kings live. Friday at 7 and Sunday at 4. Great family entertainment at Rogers Place starts at just $20 a seat. Save on day of game pricing now at oilkings.ca.
You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. And here he is, having the time of his life. We are back on The Pipeline Show. Final uh, final guest segment of this week's episode as we are recapping the CHL trade deadline. We did Q, we did the OHL, and now we head out west here in the uh, WHL. And, of course, all my, guess, all my WHL guests brought to you by dubnetwork.ca. Keep up to date on everything happening around the Western Hockey League with uh, dubnetwork.ca. My guest is uh, Lucas Pancari, who uh, writes up in uh, Prince Albert for the uh, Daily Herald. Uh, welcome back again to the program, Lucas. Uh, how, are, how are you on this busy transaction day? Well, we are live at the Art Houses Center as we record this. We're about 90 minutes away from the Prince Albert Raiders taking on the Prince George Cougars. We had a press conference of Curtis Hunter media availability with GM Curtis Hunt about an hour ago. So we're just sitting here waiting to see if any random trades come through in the middle of our chat, but we're Ready to go after what's been a pretty wild last couple of days, especially in this league. Well, the trade deadline has come and gone, I believe. I think we're past the deadline at this point, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Well, you never know. There could be the random trade that comes through at the last minute, all the Ryan Smith deal to the Islanders, or the Dawson Bartow deal, which was announced just a little while ago. Uh, fair, uh, that's fair. I, I suppose some of these, uh, maybe the paperwork just takes a little bit longer, and then the then it hits the uh, the WHL's website. But uh, for, boy, for the most part, uh, today as we're speaking on Friday, I was uh, yawning, waiting for something to happen. Uh, as we've gotten closer now, and and the deadline has come and gone. There's been some other trades that have happened. Uh, certainly, Everett was uh, involved, and in, and then the the Dawson Bartow one that you were just alluding to. But if we go back over the last week, uh, what's been the biggest deal in your mind? Obviously, Braden Tracy. I mean, look at that deal itself of Musha moving both him and Adam even off to Victoria and able to get back three players, including a draft eligible netminder in Brock Gould and four draft picks, including that first in 2021. That was a lot of assets and moving parts in that deal. It felt like an OHL trade kind of to speak. But yeah, it was interesting to see because Tracy, I was kind of a guy that I thought going into that line could be moved if they got the right price for him. I think they certainly did with the picks in that. But if you had told me the Victoria Royals were going to be the team to get Braden Tracy, I wouldn't have believed you until it happened. I, I'm in the same boat. I didn't see Victoria as a team that was going all in, and this is a move uh, that would indicate they're all in because, uh, I mean, Adam Ivanov, well, he's 19. He could be back next year. I don't know if Braden Tracy's back next year or not. He was in Anaheim for a while this year. so. It seems like it could be a, a more of a short-term uh, trade for them. But the assets they gave up, maybe they are expecting both of those guys back again next year. Well, even off, I think, will probably be back. The 2000 hasn't been signed or drafted yet. And you have Shane Farkas graduating. You move out a guy like Brock Gould. So you're going to have even off starting with a couple of their younger guys battling in the wings. And with Tracy, I think they're thinking he comes back. Obviously, he had a, hand, a long look at Anaheim this <laughs> past season. I think it's time to wait and see how good he is this one, Victoria, determines if he ends up coming back or not. Because there's been games when the Rangers played the Warriors where Tracy looks like a man amongst boys out there. If he plays at that level, then it's like, ooh, I don't know if he's back. But, I mean, you never know. We didn't think Ty Smith was going to come back and end up coming back. The same with Cody Glass two years ago. So right. I guess you run that risk, that kind of deal. But with Victoria, I think it signals an intent so that, hey, we're not just maybe looking at making noise this year. But potentially next year, we look at teams like Kelowna and Vancouver, where they're going to lose some pieces in that BC division. All right. Well, the team you're closest to, the Prince Albert Raiders, were active this week as well. And uh, funny how they made a couple of goaltender deals uh, along the way. Actually, three involving goaltenders. First, on the uh, 3rd of January, they pick up Keegan Karki. Uh, and then four days later, they uh, trade Boston below us. And uh, then 
just a couple of days ago, they pick up Max Paddock and release Keegan Karkey. So uh, goaltending carousel in Prince Albert. Are they happy? Are they satisfied? Have they found their guy yet? I think with getting Max Paddock, they definitely have found their guy, and that was something that Curtis Hunt talked about in the media availability just about an hour or so ago now. Uh, from what Curtis was saying, he and John Paddock actually talked back in the summer originally about bringing in Max. They let it go a different direction. Then as of late, when the Raiders got a bit of a skid and Boston Blows were struggling a little bit, they looked at bringing him in. Price wasn't quite right the first time, so they brought in Keegan Karkey, and he had a really rough showing on Tuesday night, unfortunately, against the Red Deer Rebels. I think it kind of accelerated the process mm. to bring him in. And I think that's kind of when you brought in Keegan, and that's why you saw Boston move out and go to Moose Jaw, where, as it turns out, Boston's battling is going to be splitting time with Brock Wolf, and it sounds a thing to be the starter there. So it works out for him. But definitely with Max, obviously a guy that people saw what he did at Memorial Cup as a rookie in 2018, played really well there for that pass in that tournament. And he's had good showings along the way as well. He hasn't made the playoffs during his tenure since that Memorial Cup run. And as well, I mean, you give up a, a Ford and Jacob Brooks, who's draft from two draft picks, one in 2020, one in 2020, a second rounder, and a conditional third in 2022. But Max is probably back next year as well, barring, again, pro contract or drafted. And with the Raiders looking to hopefully contend in the East Division next year as well, you have your starting goalie set and you have someone to mentor Carter Seryanko who came up from midget AAA this year. So I think definitely from the sound of things from what Curtis Hunt said today, they're happy to bring in a guy like Max and he'll make his debut here more than likely unless Carter starts tonight uh, against the Cougars or tomorrow against Edmonton. Did you know where uh, Karki is ending up? At this point, no. Uh, it said he was in the rest release that came out on Friday or Thursday was going to be a team to be determined. Tough to say at this point, obviously, if he ends up in another junior team, probably not at this point or he ends up going USHL route or NEHL route where he was before. So it's too bad because obviously a wild week for him. He was back up in Everett and then was traded to Prince Albert, got thrown in the line of fire against Winnipeg, uh, coming in for Boston below us, started the Sunday. Then he played the first game here on the Tuesday, and then he's gone on the Thursday. So unfortunately for him, all the circumstances went down that, and hopefully for his sake, a guy that finds a place to play here uh, in the next little while. Yeah. Uh, all right, uh, Lucas, so the, now the team in my backyard is the Edmonton Oil Kings. They didn't really do anything of significance here in the days leading up to the deadline, but got their business done a little bit earlier. Uh, they uh, picked up uh, Beck Warm from the Tri-City Americans as well as a Sam Stewart from the Americans in two separate deals, uh, but that was you know earlier uh, in uh, the new year. Uh, what did you make of what the Edmonton Oil Kings did, and is it enough to keep them in first place? Well, I mean, the way that Central Division is, you never know. But I think it definitely helps solidify things, especially bringing in Beck Warm, an experienced guy, to a platoon, or people with Sebastian Costa, the rookie in goal, especially with Todd Scott leaving. You bring in a guy that experience, and I think that helps because we've seen some teams in the past, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't work out, and you have a young goalie coming in like that. Carl Stankowski won a league championship as a rookie. Stuart Skinner in his first year in the playoffs, his second year in the league, ended up getting pulled for Jaden Titler on opening round series against Regina. So I don't think it hurts to have a guy like that and bring in a guy like Stuart as well to help on the on that blue line there. And I think what's going to be interesting there, just watching them going forward, I think going next little bit, is obviously you're going to lose some guy, but you keep that core intact of guys that can come back, the Costas, the Williamses, the Neighbors, the Gunthers, the Robertsons. So I think that was good on Edmonton's part. Obviously, they gave up a couple of picks, and they traded the rights to Carter Gielander, who's in the AJHL, but they didn't sell the farm, so to speak. And I think that's good for them going forward to keep that core there and 
some of those other exciting end talent that are going to be there in the future. Now, I heard uh, the Punkeria hotline uh, dingling off there in the background. Was that just the uh, Ty Ettinger trade? <laughs> uh, you would be correct. It would be the uh, minor trade there with Ty Ettinger, the eighth-round yeah. pick for the Victoria Royals. Yeah, not a groundbreaker there, but it is does involve the Winnipeg Ice, and they were involved with uh, one of the bigger deals here today uh, as they uh, passed off on six draft picks, four of them in the second round for Dawson Bartow and a couple mid-to-late round picks uh, from the Red Deer Rebels. Uh, that one really caught me by surprise. Uh, I, I expected Bartow could be available. I didn't think he was going to get that much back uh, in return from, for the Red Deer Rebels. To me, that's a great deal for Red Deer. Yeah, especially when you get, I mean, maybe it's me. I always like to get a body or a warm body or two, but for four second round picks, you can't complain about that. And from the ice perspective, getting a guy like Bartow in is big as well, because as recorded, they're battling with the PAs and the Brandon's in that four to division lead right now. And you bring in a guy like that who has that experience, that really helps a lot because, I mean, they have recharged as 99, but a lot of their other guys, like Carson Lambos, for example, is an 03. So to bring in a guy like that who has some playoff experience too helps because the majority of that ice team, the Peyton Krebs's, the Michael Tepley's, the Owen Peterson's, uh, the Connor McLennan's, the guys who have been brought in as of, or have been there the whole time with the ice, they didn't make the playoffs. With Kootenai, Pepe, for example, because he just came this year. So to bring in a guy who has that playoff experience, that I think is going to be a bigger help to them. Is the price a bit much? Maybe. But if you go to the second round or the third round and start to build things towards an ice team that could be really good over the next couple of years, I don't think you're complaining too much about that price. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, now, uh, when you look at teams who uh, were fairly quiet, uh, maybe are there two or three clubs that you thought you were going to hear from, or maybe at least more from, more impactful moves? That didn't uh, for you. I was surprised that the Calgary Hitman didn't make a move in goal. Um, I thought that would be something that would happen here. Obviously, they made the move to trade Jonas Paterik to Kelowna, um, but I thought maybe they'd go after a, a veteran goalie. Um, other teams, I mean, Leopards brought in Brett Davis. I thought maybe they'd do a little bit more, but at the same time, they made a lot of moves last year, like the Jake Lecision, Nick Henry trade. Right. Um, I thought Kelowna would make another move later that was impactful. Obviously, they brought in guys like Connor McDonald. They're getting Kyle Topping back. They brought in Matt Wedman. But some of the moves, like lately, the Tyson Feist deal, then also bringing in Paterik and that kind of thing. And Jared Newell's come in, who's like a seventh body almost. So it's like, I don't know. I mean, they still feel like they're a couple pieces away from really making impact. And Mem Cup time, we'll see. Portland stood pat, which surprised me a little bit, especially if ever making some of the moves they've had in the last little bit. So that was interesting there. But, yeah, probably Calgary and Gold. I, always, I thought that would be something they'd do, but maybe because now they lost Igor Zamula, maybe, you know, that changes their course of action a little bit, knowing that he's now out for the rest of the season with that injury. Yeah, that is that is a huge blow to the Hitmen, and I, I'm actually surprised they didn't try to fix that hole on the blue line as well. Uh, I know they did a little bit of tinkering, but nothing of significance to, to try to replace a guy of his magnitude. Obviously a lot easier said than done, but I'm with you, a goalie, and I thought they'd try to get a defenseman as well, and uh, I thought a, a one-two punch maybe with uh, with Prince George, uh, but the Cougars were fairly quiet, and you know a couple of the guys I thought might be available from Prince George obviously weren't, or the price was too high. The Cougars really don't do a whole lot. Well, to be fair, they did get a first-round pick from the Saskatoon Blades for Rhett Reinhardt, so now the Cougars, if you're looking for the long-term gain, now have three first-round picks in the 2020 draft, their own. The one from Saskatoon, which they got from Vancouver in the Eric Florchuk trade, which Vancouver got from Medicine Hat in the Tyler Prezuzo Dylan Plouffe trade. It's a long, winding circus, I know. And they also have a Portland first-rounder from the Dennis Chowalski trade from two deadlines ago. 
So that's for a 2020 draft class that's really loaded from what everybody's saying. Yeah. That's pretty darn good free draft picks there. But, yeah, I agree a little bit. I thought maybe a Cole Moberg would be somebody that defenses or team would look at looking for a defenseman. That's Say Calgary, for example, if they want a goal, you kind of mentioned it. Do they go after a Taylor Goche? Which, I mean, he's a hometown kid. He's never played in the playoffs, but Taylor Goche is pretty highly touted. Looked at by Hockey Canada. So. But at the same time with Goche, I think that's a guy you could see maybe next year, too, because they have Tyler Brennan waiting in the wings. So kind of wait and see on there. But, yeah, Fred George maybe you thought would move a little bit more, like you said, but we still you get a first. I don't think you're complaining too much. Well, that's a good point, and you're right. I overlooked that one for sure. I, you know, the, the the names didn't really jump out at me, and I, I don't know how much of an impact uh, Reinhardt's going to make in Saskatoon, but uh, they, uh, the Blades do pay a, a big price there uh, to get his services. So uh, we'll see how that plays out. Now, you mentioned the Everett Silver Tips in passing, but they, they made one of the bigger trades here today. Uh, and it turns out to be a th- almost a three-way deal as uh, Martin Fasco Rudish goes from Everett to Swift Current temporarily, and then he's off to uh, Saskatoon. But uh, in return, the Everett Silvertips, I mean, they gave up four assets, but they get Ethan Regnier and Casper and Pudio uh, from the Swift Current Broncos. Didn't know there was going to be a whole lot left to pick off the carcass of the Broncos, but uh, Everett comes away with a, what they hope is an impactful defenseman and a center uh, to add some depth down the middle that they badly needed. Mm-hmm. And Renier is a Prince Albert kid, too, so obviously people here in Prince Albert were interested to see if that trade go down. And captain for the Broncos, the last guy that was left on the roster, from what I believe, from yeah. the 2018 team. So I think all that's left on that team still is the mascot and the banner. But anyway, um, so a good pickup, though, get Renier, because it's interesting to see what he does there with some more talent around him, too, and a guy I think brings some intangibles there. And then bringing Casper in the top pick of the import draft, you know, that just adds another blue liner to Everett going forward, and you have him there now, um, and obviously you're going to lose guys potentially here, like why Wiley and Jay Christian are gone, maybe Johnny Fairbrother, but you have him and Owen Zulger and Ronan Steely. So, again, the Everett Silvertips with another good pipeline of defensemen once again. be interesting to see how those guys fit in there with the Silvertips. They battle with Portland here for the uh, or division title in the U.S. Well, then there's a team like the Brandon Weekings who really don't do a whole lot today, and they're kind of in the middle of the, the, the standings. And, you know, a few years ago they were in that same situation, moved Cale Clegg, moved Tanner Kaspik, and this year they kind of hold steady. I was a bit – I was curious. I'm not going to say I was surprised they didn't move a guy like Luca Burzen, but um, I was curious and wondering if they would or not. They choose not to. Uh, your thoughts on Brandon? I think the fact that Brandon now is closed in on Prince Albert and – um, Winnipeg as of late maybe changed things a little bit. Obviously made a couple of minor moves. Johnny Hooker being traded to Prince George. Yeah. Uh, Bodie Hagen dealt to Swift Current. But yeah, Burzan was a guy that I thought maybe a team like the Kelowna Rockets would look at or something. Like a, him and Eric Florchett were kind of in that similar situation where there are 2,000 guys that could turn pro after the season. We'll see. Florchett still hasn't signed with the Capitals and Burzan still has one more year after this where he can't sign with Colorado. But like you said, did not trade. I think it depended where they kind of were in the standings if they were going to trade them uh, or not with Luca Burzan. And I mean, you still have some good pieces coming back the next couple of years. The three first rounders they drafted from a year ago show up next season uh, from the Plastic and Clay trades that you had mentioned previously in 2018 when they sold. So it'll be interesting to see because you look at the East Division right now with those three teams, Saskatoon included. I don't know if there's a real clear cut favorite yet. And I think they all kind of want to avoid that four seed from the Central and the Wild Card if possible. So it'll be interesting to see. But I think Brandon, with how they played as of late, maybe that's why you didn't see as much movement as maybe you could have a couple of weeks ago if they were a little bit further back. 
did anybody in your mind significantly improve themselves uh, before the deadline this year, where they could take a you know a, a serious run at things, or did everybody that was near the top of their respective divisions kind of get um, I don't know comparatively better? I think Victoria definitely getting Tracy changes things a little bit as to maybe the expectations around them, yeah. how far they're going to go. Things to be seen because that Kamloops team looks really good, yeah. and Kelowna obviously they made their changes. I think Kelowna's improved, but they made those moves prior to the deadline or the Christmas roster freeze too. So I think those are kind of teams that I look at. And obviously I think Medicine Hat deal was a while ago, but getting a guy like Dylan Flupin, I think helped a lot with that defense too. So I would say those are the kind of moves there. The Kelowna's and the Vancouver's have improved, but still nobody that I would say is a clear cut contender as of yet that are super blows you away. Like a Prince Albert did maybe um, last year leading up to the deadline. And then what Swift Current obviously did two years ago. Awesome. Lucas, thank you very much for your insight uh, and the uh, the rundown of everything that happened uh, this week here in the WHL with uh, the trade deadline. Uh, I appreciate it, and uh, I'll certainly be calling you before the end of the season and into the playoffs. Sounds good, Guy. We'll talk again soon. Lucas Puncari, who uh, is a beat writer covering the Prince Albert Raiders, defending champs. They were busy. Interesting, that goaltender carousel that we've seen over the last uh, 10 days or so around Prince Albert. Now, uh, we went through the Friday night action in the uh, Q and the OHL, and we'll do that here for the WHL as well. The uh, Brandon Wheat Kings beat Red Deer 2-1. Uh, Calgary loses at home. They get doubled up 4-2 by the Lethbridge Hurricanes. Uh, Kamloops 4-1 victors against the Kelowna Rockets. The Medicine Hat over Moose Jaw by a score of 5-2. Uh, Prince Albert 2-1 winners at home to uh, Prince George, and I believe Bax Paddock was in net and was named first star of that contest. Uh, Saskatoon beats Edmonton in a shootout. A 2-1 the final. Spokane 3-1 victors at home against the Vancouver Giants. And it was 80s night in Tri-City. 8-5 the score. Seattle beats Tri-City in uh, that contest. And uh, the Victoria Royals, an overtime goal by a newcomer, Braden Tracy, gives Victoria a 2-1 overtime victory against the visiting Portland Winterhawks. There are... Ten games in the WHL here on a Saturday, so uh, lots of lots of opportunity for players to uh, make new impressions and uh, first impressions with the fans and their new teammates. And we'll see as the stretch drive towards the playoffs really gets going now uh, after the CHL trade deadline. That wraps up this week's episode of the Pipeline Show. Thanks to all three of these uh, CHL guests that you heard from. Next week on the show, we are uh, definitely going to, going to have a 2020 draft spotlight segment if not two we got the chl uh, top prospect game coming up rapidly uh we're also uh, we'll have a u sports segment an ncaa guest as well uh, things we haven't had on the show here in the last little bit so definitely want to get back to that now that the world junior and the chl trade deadline are in the rear view mirror the uh this time of year we start looking ahead to the uh with the stretch drive in the ncaa a lot of the Canadians who are in contention for the Hobie Baker Award, as those nominations will start coming out. And we always put the, uh, we like to put the Canadian spin on, on it when we're talking about the NCAA. So one of the things that makes the Pipeline show unique. Anyway, between now and next week's show, get out and watch some junior or college hockey so that you and I can talk about it next week right here on the Pipeline Show. Until then, my name is Keith Flaming. See ya.